Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and today we are talking all about your hormones. And I know this is something that you have a question about all the time. Can you get your hormones checked? Should you get your hormones checked? What does it mean to get your hormones checked? What do your hormones do? What are the hormones we even check? Oh my gosh, there are so many questions. And a lot of this is rooting from the place where women's health has not been taken seriously for a long time. And you would get dismissed if you even brought up something related to hormones. And y'all know I'm a fertility doctor, so obviously my take is different because I deal with hormones every day. And even your OBGYN, they'll all tell you there's a time and a place, but a very broad blanket statement, like I want all my hormones checked, doesn't really mean very much because there's too many hormones. There's too many things. We need to understand what's really going on. Why do we have a concern? What are we looking for or what should we check? Essentially, you have to know how to ask the question to get the answer you want. And I'm not being mean. That's just advocacy if you are a woman who is seeking health care. You have to clearly present your case so that people understand what is going on. Do I think that hormones, I'll use the word broadly too, should be included in certain types of screening that we do? Well, it is my strong personal belief that this discussion should be had, but I think it's really important to put a disclosure on this entire episode that that might not be what our professional societies say, and a lot of time, the recommendations for what should be screening, please understand that screening recommendations are meant to happen at a time when a certain percentage of the population has the disease. In order to make the cost of screening or the cost of testing justifiable on a population basis. So when we talk about screening for cervical cancer or for breast cancer or colon cancer, screening your cholesterol or your thyroid, 
these guidelines all come from a place of when do they anticipate finding disease in the population. That is extremely different than if you have symptoms. And I think that's what we miss because so often we don't talk about our symptoms or we don't know that our symptoms are abnormal or we don't know what we don't know. So we're going to break all of that down for you today. Last bits of housekeeping items is that if you have been here for a while, I'm really excited to announce the return of the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course and the IVF guide. They have been out for a year. Over 250 of y'all have joined the programs and it's been really eye-opening for me as a physician to see firsthand and hear your stories about how you're treated. But more than that, it's been really refreshing to be able to have a program where people go through education in a very specific way that builds off of itself. You guys know I have hours and hours of free content online, whether it's this podcast, whether you like YouTube, you can listen to my voice teach you things for hours and hours. But there's something to be said about walking through in a stepwise fashion and being more efficient because you could get dragged down in all the content that exists. But going through that program with everybody, I've loved it. We've made a few modifications and now we are rolling it out again. It has been closed, which we've been hearing. When will you open it back up? So it is back open for registration. And that's really exciting because ultimately my entire goal with all of this has been to help more people understand their bodies and their fertility at an earlier stage. And I've got a lot of different options for how you can learn that information. But if you want to learn more, you can go to nataliecrawfordmd.com and learn about the courses there. You can also sign up for the weekly newsletter, which is always super fun. I have healthy plant-based recipes, updates, some of my favorite things. I will always answer a fertility question that you guys submit on Instagram. And I am going to be covering fertility in the news topics because I love when fertility and IVF get more news. I don't love that the news doesn't always get it right. So nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter, and you can sign up for the newsletter right there. It's not spam, I promise. And at the end of every episode is a Q&A segment. This is For Fertility Sake, our weekly Q&A. You can ask these questions over on Instagram at nataliecrawfordmd every single Monday. Some will be answered on Instagram, some will be answered in the weekly newsletter, and some will be answered here on the podcast. All right, well, let's dive in to your hormones. When we talk about your hormones, you need to understand how your body works. When we check hormones, what we are looking for and what are the signs that something can be wrong. What is very important to know as a first disclaimer is that your hormones change. That is what the endocrine system is. So if we step back, we say hormones are made by our body to communicate with other parts of our body. Our brain doesn't see what's happening in our ovaries or our adrenal glands, and so it can't rely on just knowing. So the production of these hormones communicates back to the brain and allows the brain to know how things are going. It allows the brain to be the control center and then send out different amounts of different hormones based on what's going on. And it's constantly in flux. It is a dynamic system. Our hormones are not meant to be stable. And that's very interesting, right? They are meant to ebb and flow with the world around us. And if we look back 
physiologically, that makes a lot of sense because you needed something different if you needed to run from a bear than you needed if you were trying to get pregnant. And our body's just trying to interpret these signals. The modern world is a very different place than how humans were first living. And that does lead to a lot of complexities. And it does mean we see an interference in our hormones much more now than we ever did before. So if we start, let's just think about how the period works. If you've been here for a while, this is not new information. You are born with all the eggs you're ever going to have in your ovary. People think about the ovary as being this egg generating factory. And I always say the ovary is a hormone producing factory. That's its primary job. You have the most eggs you're ever going to have when you are halfway through your gestation inside your mother's womb. You lose eggs rapidly in that period to the point where you're born with less than half the eggs that you had when you were 20 weeks. But what is happening is I like to use the idea of a vault because it simplifies this concept. If you imagine that inside the ovary is a vault where all your eggs are kept, every month a group of eggs is released from the vault. Each egg grows inside a follicle. Eggs are microscopic, follicle, fluid-filled cyst, very small, can see on ultrasound. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. When FSH starts to be released, this is actually the start of puberty. Remember that puberty, when your brain turns on and starts sending out FSH, is very different than menarche, which is the time period when you have a period first. By that period of time, when you are menstruating, you've already been through puberty two years prior. Your brain's been turned on. It just took your ovaries enough exposure to learn how to ovulate. But what's happening is that you're having a group of follicles released. And once you're to the time period, we'll just say of menarche, now FSH is sent out from the brain. FSH is follicle stimulating hormone well-named hormone that stimulates a follicle to grow. As that follicle grows, it is going to make estrogen, specifically estradiol. Now, estradiol talks back to the brain and tells the brain, we have a follicle growing, all good, because the human body is not supposed to carry litters of children. You're not supposed to get pregnant with two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight babies at one time. And the check and balance is the brain sees estrogen starting to rise and lowers its FSH. It also only sends out a small amount of FSH because it knows it doesn't take very much to get just one egg to grow. And if you send out a lot of FSH, you will get more eggs to grow. And we know this to be true because we do this in fertility treatments very often. So what's important to understand here is that your FSH and estradiol, they change throughout the course of your menstrual cycle, and therefore they change throughout the course of your life with the exceptions before you start puberty where FSH, LH, and estradiol are all extremely low. And after menopause, if you're not on hormone replacement, because menopause is when you have run out of eggs. Essentially that vault, which held all those eggs, is now empty. This is ovarian failure. The average age is 51, 52, but it certainly can happen younger. When you're out of eggs or you're in ovarian failure, now 
your brain wants so badly to see estrogen because the female brain loves estrogen. And we know that's why variables like going through menopause earlier increase your risk of dementia. When your brain senses a profound low estrogen that is constant, it is going to start to send out a lot, a lot of FSH. The brain doesn't run out of FSH. So if you think about the brain senses a low estrogen normally when that group of eggs has all died and no follicle is growing. So it sends out a little bit and an egg starts growing and then it drops itself. When you're in ovarian failure, the brain is sending out all the FSH that it can and the ovary is not responding because there's nothing there to respond. And so that is also another steady state of your hormones where you now have an extremely high FSH and a low estradiol. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No one shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. And then of course there is, if you're on hormonal contraception, you are now potentially invoking a steady state of hormones, but what's happening if you're not, let's just go through your regular cycle. If you're not, you have a group of follicles released from that vault. The number of follicles is correlated with how many are inside. So when you have more eggs inside the vault, more come out every month, fewer eggs in the vault, fewer come out every month. 
your brain says, oh, there's no estrogen. These are all brand new baby follicles, each making a tiny amount of estrogen. I need a follicle to grow. And it sends out some FSH. Average FSH and estradiol in the early phase of the cycle or the baseline, what we normally consider to be day three, although two to four is all fine, but we'll say a day three labs, what you're looking for is an FSH around five to 10 and an estradiol that should be less than 50. That's average. So then your estrogen is going to start to rise. The FSH will drop when that estradiol is high and it's not an unknown value. When it's at 200 picograms per milliliter for 50 hours, that's a specific number, friends. Then the brain says, that is enough estradiol to have a mature egg, and I'm going to send out LH. So LH is then sent out from the pituitary gland. So far, when I've said brain, I have roughly been referring to the pituitary gland, which is where all your hormones live inside the brain. The hypothalamus is really the control center of the pituitary, and it is a pulsatile, think Morse code, is how it communicates with the pituitary gland. And that's why a lot of our hormones are actually sent out in pulses. And we know this to be most important when we think about LH and how it relates to progesterone. When the hypothalamus senses, okay, we have that high estradiol, now I'm going to tell the brain to send out that LH surge. You get a one-time pulse of LH. Whoo, it's a whole lot. You can check that with OBKs, those ovulation predictor kits that are measuring the urine. Importantly, LH is not zero in the first part of the cycle, but it does peak at this moment. After it peaks, that is causing that follicle to rupture, the egg to be released, and then the follicle heals and becomes the corpus luteum. Corpus luteum is the follicle, but it now makes progesterone in response to pulses of luteinizing hormone from the brain. Progesterone is therefore released in pulses from the corpus luteum. And this is affectionately known as the luteal phase of the cycle. So you have your follicular phase. The first half with the follicle is growing. This is an estrogen dominant, a low progesterone phase. I cannot tell you how many people come in with random labs and they tell me that they're progesterone deficient or they're estrogen dominant. And I can look at their labs and they've got a low FSH and LH. They've got an estradiol of 120 and they have a progesterone of 0.4 and they're all worried. And I asked them, where were they in their cycle? And they were five days before ovulation. I see these are perfect labs for that time. This is telling me your body is in the follicular phase, which is a progesterone low phase, and you haven't ovulated yet. And your brain's interpreting that estrogen. So the brain and ovaries are communicating. This is fantastic. There's no issues. So your body doesn't live at a steady state. Progesterone should not be present in that follicular period. And after you ovulate and that corpus luteum makes progesterone, it makes it in pulsatile fashion. And what does that mean? It means it's really hard to get a blood draw of progesterone and sit here and say, that is a insufficiency. That is a low progesterone level. Progesterone in the luteal phase has only been valid to tell us, did you ovulate? AKA, do you have progesterone present? Or did you not ovulate? AKA, there's no progesterone present. And the level that has been used for this is three 
nanograms per milliliter. So if you have more than that, you have ovulated. Progesterone can go anywhere from three nanograms to 40 based on any moment when we're checking it, and that is perfectly fine and normal. That corpus luteum is also making estrogen, so it's not just making progesterone. It actually makes a lot of really important hormones that can be really important in implantation and early placentation, but it is still making estrogen. It's making progesterone. So if I'm checking blood work in the luteal phase, I expect to see a progesterone over three, an estrogen that is probably going to be in the hundreds, depending on when I'm checking it, and very low FSH and LH. What is so fascinating is that the corpus luteum, it expires. It can only live 12 to 14 days unless it gets rescued. So the brain will not support it for longer. And if you have a pregnancy, you have HCG, that's how we rescue it. So if an embryo comes in and implants, suddenly it makes the hormone HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin. HCG is made and starts to enter your bloodstream. Embryos implant, remember, we'll say loosely seven to nine days after ovulation. And at that time period, what is happening is that embryo has to grow and eat away at the wall of the uterus and start to enter into that uterine vasculature for that HCG to then be detected in your blood. Or your urine has got to get filtered through your blood and be in your urine. HCG is made at a constant and rapidly increasing amount. The embryo is crazy sauce awesome. It goes from an egg with a fertilized sperm to then two cells to four cells to eight to 16 to by the time it is day five or six and implanting inside the body, it's 300 plus cells. HCG production rises exponentially. And now you have a constant stimulus to progesterone. So if I'm checking your progesterone and you're pregnant, you now do have a more constant stimulus and should have a higher level. And that's why levels for appropriate progesterone for pregnancy a lot of people like to see 20 nanograms or more, are extremely different than the luteal phase. And a lot of people say, well, I want to be pregnant, so I want my progesterone to be what it should be when I'm pregnant, but that's not how the body works. So your progesterone could be anywhere in that luteal phase between 3 to 40. Your estradiol is going to be in the mid. Your FSH and LH are going to be low. When that corpus luteum dies because there is no pregnancy, estrogen and progesterone both drop. Hello, PMS. Okay, if you get PMS, this is what you're getting because your brain, no, why, where did it go? I loved that estrogen. I am so sad. And we feel that. Your brain feels your hormone changes the most. So you feel this drop from happy estrogen to low. Suddenly now you are starting to feel more potentially like moody, depressed, less energetic, you know your period starting to come. Your brain senses this. So the uterus, when it gets that withdrawal of estrogen, progesterone, that's the stimulus to bleed and have a period. But when your brain senses this, it says, ooh, we're not pregnant. And so we're going to send out an increase in what? What hormone? FSH. We're going to send out an increase in FSH because we know a new group of eggs is going to be coming out of that vault and we want to get them to grow. Your basic reproductive hormones are FSH, LH, estradiol, which is the form of estrogen made from the ovary, and progesterone. They do and they should 
vary throughout the course of your cycle. So understanding when they're being checked is very important. One of the most useful utilities is when somebody's having irregular periods or absent periods, because then these labs can come in and help us understand if something is wrong. What are the things that can go wrong? If you start to run out of eggs, now you have less eggs in the vault, and now less are coming out every month. Your ovary actually gets more stubborn as you have fewer eggs. And so it is going to take more FSH to get those eggs to grow. So we know that if we're checking early follicular phase labs and your FSH is elevated, that is a sign that you have low ovarian reserve. And to the point that FSH values in that 10 to 20 range start to become worrisome, 20 to 40 is really what we consider perimenopause. It can be very hard to even get you to respond to fertility medications because I don't have magic fertility medication. I give people FSH or medications that make FSH increase or a compound that is purified from the urine of menopausal women called MenoPure, which is a combo FSH-LH, and it's the only form of LH that we have. But that's what I give. These are, these are the things that your body already makes. So if your ovary is out of eggs and your brain is sending over 40 milli-IUs per milliliter of FSH, it's in menopausal zone FSH, your pituitary gland is sending out all the FSH that it can and your ovary is not responding, me coming in and giving you FSH is extremely unlikely to make a difference because your ovary is already being showered with it. Occasionally, we try to lower that FSH by giving you what? Estrogen. A birth control pill, an estrogen pill, an estrogen patch. Can I give you something, get a drop in that FSH, and then maybe is there an egg that potentially could respond to a big pounding of FSH afterward? Usually not, but sometimes we try, especially for people who are going into premature ovarian failure, and this is it. These are the last of their eggs that they have. But this is also why when we give hormone replacement or we take birth control, we see varying results of our hormones. I also see people come in all the time freaked out that they might have a disease called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And this is where your FSH and LH are both very low because your brain, your hypothalamus has said, We got too much shit happening to have a baby. And the best way to prevent that from happening is to not ovulate. 
So I'm going to tell the pituitary gland it can't release anything. Therefore, you have no estrogen because the ovary is not being stimulated because there's no FSHLH. And this is commonly attributed to things like low calorie intake, eating disorders, extreme exercise. But we know that chronic stress, chronic disease, malnutrition, chronic illness, a lot of different things can go into that category and can cause the brain to shut off. And we do think this is one way that cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone from the adrenal gland, also communicates to the hypothalamus. And the modern world and modern stress is so different and so bad for us that we see some people who start to have a version of ovulatory dysfunction because of that cortisol and its impact on the hypothalamus and its suppression on sending out the appropriate signals of FSH and LH. And that is in hypothalamic dysfunction, what I call it. And one of the ways we see stress can play a role in ovulation and appropriate signaling. And sometimes it is potentially a luteal phase issue. Maybe your pituitary gland is not sending out a strong enough pulse of LH to ovulate or ovulate appropriately or stimulate progesterone. And that luteal phase is not 12 to 14 days, but it's shorter because these hormones are feeding back to each other. What we also know is that hypothalamic amenorrhea, if you come in with no periods and I check your labs and your FSH is less than five and your estradiol is less than 20, that's what's going on. Low FSH, low estrogen, brain is not sending ovary any signals. If your FSH is high, over 40, and your estradiol is low, less than 20, ovary is not making estrogen because it can't. So the difference here is that ovary has failed. Brain sending out lots of FSH and it's really trying versus brain is sending out nothing. So the ovary can't do anything. Extremely different prognostic outcomes when it comes to your fertility. In hypohypo, are you going to be able to heal it yourself? Lower your stress, eat more, stop exercising and get this pathway to repair potentially, but it can take years. Can you repair your ovarian failure? No, 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 no. At that point, the damage is done. And sometimes the warning signs are really hard to see. And that's what I think a lot of focusing on what is abnormal and earlier detection of some of these tests can be helpful. So when you are doing baseline labs for somebody, so say you do cycle day three labs of FSH and estradiol, and you run into the circumstance where FSH is normal, but estradiol is high. This is actually a warning sign that your ovary is starting to make a follicle faster because there aren't as many, so it can respond much faster to that normal FSH signal. So if we think about going from normal FSH estradiol to normal FSH high estradiol to high FSH estradiol to extremely high FSH, no estradiol. As we work through the phases of ovarian aging or running out of eggs inside the ovary. And these labs are also helpful if you have irregular periods or you have a shift in your period. But we actually are not checking a lot of these a lot of the time because now we often rely on AMH or anti-mullerian hormone, which is a test that we prefer because it has less cycle variability. I can check it on any day. You don't have to just be here on day three. It doesn't flux through the cycle. AMH is made from the cells that surround 
all of the eggs outside your vault. And the easiest way to think about AMH is that it lives in your body a little bit longer. So these follicles, the granulosa cells that surround them, they make AMH. It lives in your body longer than the gonadotropins do, which are FSH and LH. And so AMH is an easier way to say how many eggs are outside the vault. Importantly, that vault number does change month to month, and we know this. So if you are an average 30-year-old and you should have 16 to 20 eggs coming out of the vault, it might be 18 one month, then 20, then 16, then 17, then 20. It's going to change around, and that's okay. And AMH kind of withers those changes because it lasts a little bit longer, but that does mean you could have an AMH value and then check it in a year, and it could be higher. It's not as you grew more eggs, right? It's just a reflection of what's been coming out of that vault lately. AMH has so much controversy around it, and this goes back to screening. People want to be screened with an AMH to see if they're running out of eggs, and your national society will say that doesn't make sense as a screening guideline because the number of people we will detect is so low, it does not justify the population-based cost of doing the test. However, you are an individual and unique person, and... Many OBGYNs I know go against screening. I personally go against screening all the time here because it's not black and white. They will also quote one of my favorite studies by my mentor, my research mentor in fellowship, Ann Steiner, saying that AMH does not impact your fecundability, which makes perfect and total sense because your body doesn't care if you have 10 eggs outside the vault or 30. If you are ovulating, you're releasing one. So you have the same age as getting pregnant as the same person who has a different AMH. And that's the argument against it, that it doesn't cause infertility, nor does it predict who's going to have infertility because it doesn't impact fecundability, so you shouldn't check it. And then they add in all this paternalistic BS, like it's going to cause stress on the person who it's being checked. Therefore, it's not worth it. Okay, but you're a smart person and you can make this decision. Are you going to do something different if your AMH is low? You very well may. What do we know? If your AMH is low, that you are going to get fewer eggs if you do egg freezing or IVF because you have less eggs coming out of the vault. And when we do egg freezing or IVF, we can only get the eggs that are outside the vault to grow. So if you're going to get less, Doing it younger while your eggs are better, have better quality, is going to be important. We also know that you have less reproductive time. You're going to run out of eggs faster because you have a lower AMH value. And we also know, and this one gets me, that if you are young and you have a low AMH, you have a higher chance of a miscarriage. And this is not because your eggs are bad. People might tell you that AMH is a marker of egg quality, and it is not. But why do you have a higher chance of miscarriage? Two factors at play, in my opinion, because it's specifically in young women under age 35. One is going to be at some level of low AMH, you're going to have less eggs out of the vault, and that is going to start to impact ovulatory dysfunction or impaired luteal phase. So you might have some contribution because your ovulatory pattern is disrupted. But more than this, I think it is because why is your AMH low? Why is it low? Things are related. The world is connected here. So your AMH is low for a reason, most likely. Also, most likely, we're not going to be able to find out why. What are the causes? Genetic, fragile X, having an abnormal karyotype. You can have a low AMH because 
You have autoimmune disease. That's a huge one. Autoimmune disease is extremely difficult to diagnose, takes years and years, and most people don't develop symptoms until they're mid-30s to 40s. So if you're here at 32 with a low AMH, could you have something autoimmune going on? And this is your first sign, especially if you couple that with some recurrent pregnancy loss. Okay. We can test for some autoimmune diseases, but not all of them. And a lot of times there also might be exposures. We know that there's certain chemical exposures that can lower AMH. We know things like endometriosis, lower AMH, chemotherapy, BPA, smoking cigarettes. So there's probably some correlation between the etiology behind why your AMH is low and that rate of miscarriage. And I would hypothesize, although this is not proven, that people who have genetic causes of low AMH are probably less likely to have miscarriage than those who we think that this is autoimmune, inflammatory, or exposure derived. All right, so you tell me now if I did a blood test and I could tell you that you might have a higher chance of a miscarriage because the fecundability study, friends, is probability of a positive pregnancy test per month. That's not a pregnancy live birth rate study. So you have the same chance of getting pregnant as your friend, but you might have a higher chance of miscarriage. You're going to go into ovarian failure early. And if I have my very best treatment that I can do, which is IVF or freeze your eggs to try to improve or prolong your fertile window, I'm going to get less eggs per cycle. And therefore you're going to need to do more cycles than the average person. And the younger you do them, the better the chances you'll have success. Might you do something different? So I'm a believer that ovarian reserve testing is extremely important. AMH is one of the best ways we have now. Almost nobody checks FSH and estradiol for this purpose anymore. A transvaginal ultrasound with an antral follicle count combined with an AMH gives you the absolute best information. Further, AMH can be artificially low in a few circumstances, and it also can be high in a disease state. So PCOS, which we haven't really touched on, is polycystic ovarian syndrome. In its simplest form, let's call PCOS having too many eggs inside your vault. We know there's a huge epigenetic and environmental component. We know that exposures to mom when pregnant influence development of this. I like to make the world make sense. So let's say that something that happened when your mom was pregnant with you caused you not to lose the eggs you were supposed to. So you're born with more eggs, which sounds super awesome, but because the vault is constantly regulating, you're now sending out more per month. And because you're sending out more, your brain doesn't know that. And it sends out the normal amount of FSH and it's too few to get an egg to respond, so they're not really responding, and you get into this anovulatory pattern very often. The reason why PCOS gets called estrogen dominant is because you don't ovulate, so you don't have progesterone, so your prog is low, but also because each follicle tends to make a tiny bit of estrogen, like one to two picograms. So if you have 20 follicles, an average number, it's pretty common for you to have an estrogen level that's going to be, you know, 20 to 30. But if you have a really high follicle number, your baseline estrogen might be high and it might be because of the PCOS. In that circumstance, it's not because you're running out of eggs. It's actually because you have a lot of them. And that's where an ultrasound combined with some of this blood work really can fine tune what's going on if you're not ovulating. But what is also happening is because you're not ovulating, the ovary gets super bored because it's a hormone-making factory, remember? And in that case, what it does is LH from the brain starts to stimulate 
those thecal cells to make testosterone. And so you get this high androgen symptoms that a lot of people with PCOS suffer from. There used to be LH in the diagnostic testing for PCOS, so an LH to FSH ratio, meaning having a much higher LH value than FSH was part of the diagnostic criteria. It's not currently, but a lot of us still get that information because you can have PCOS and hypothalamic disease, and that can be really hard to distinguish, especially in those very thin PCO patients might have both. So it can be helpful, but a really high LH to FSH ratio also supports PCOS, especially in production of androgens. But because you have a lot of eggs outside the vault, you have a high AMH, and AMH has now been said that it should be included in the diagnostic criteria, and we don't have a set level, but probably somewhere like five is going to be put into those criteria to help us diagnose PCOS because it correlates with a high number of follicles, and it's easier than doing an ultrasound on everybody, which is what part of the current diagnosis is. So what we also know is that high AMH, very likely PCOS. When you have a low AMH, very often this is signs that you might have early ovarian failure. We call this DOR or diminished ovarian reserve. Birth control pills or hormonal contraception can suppress the production of AMH from the granulosa cells if they are used continuously. These are continuous birth control pills, progesterone, making IUDs, anything that has constant hormone production can downregulate AMH production. This doesn't mean that I don't check AMH on somebody who's on the pill, but if it comes back low, we have an honest talk about what we're going to do. So if you get an AMH level and you're on the pill and it's low, are you going to stop the pill and use an alternative method of contraception for a few months and then repeat evaluation? Probably if your OB checks it, they're going to make you come see me. And so this is what you have to be okay with if you're asking for hormone checking or screening your egg count number. So regular old screening, you want to have kids, but you're not ready yet. The easiest thing to advocate for is to say, I know I want to have kids. I'm not ready yet. Maybe I want to freeze my eggs. I really think an AMH would help me understand what I should do. Great. Get the AMH drawn. Most people will draw if you're giving them an action item that you're doing based off of it. If you're on contraception, understand it may come back abnormal. You might come see me. If you are not on contraception and now you're having irregular periods, this is a discussion with your OBGYN. This is not a one-minute phrase at your annual, okay? That's not the time for it. This is, I am going to make an appointment with my OB because my period is a vital sign. And if my brain and my ovaries are communicating normally, it comes at regular intervals and it's not happening. So I need to go and see them and figure out what is going on. And in that case, very likely you will get labs like FSH, LH, estradiol, progesterone, maybe AMH, maybe an ultrasound, depending on what exactly that period pattern looks like. But do remember a mid-luteal progesterone, day three FSH, estradiol, these hormones have to be timed within the cycle if you're having cycles. If you're not having cycles, we do random values to try to figure out what is happening. And I can't round out a talk about the reproductive hormones unless we're going to talk about your thyroid and your prolactin. So I'll wrap it up with these. Prolactin is made from the pituitary gland. It is very important in controlling lactation, and that's what most of us know about prolactin. But prolactin actually does flux with a lot of things, exercise, intake of food, sleep, medications, nipple stimulation. So it can rise and fall at different times. All hormones are responsive. 
But when your prolactin is high, it actually interferes with the ability of the pituitary gland to release FSH and LH in normal pulsatile fashion. And you see a very distinct pattern of ovulatory dysfunction as your prolactin rises. So you go from regular periods to a first level of ovulatory dysfunction, a short luteal phase. Now you're still ovulating, but that luteal phase is cut shorter. And then what is going to happen is that you're going to get to the phase where now your periods are spacing out because you're now not ovulating regularly. And then you'll go to frank amenorrhea or absence of periods. And when you treat the prolactin, it goes away. So prolactin can be caused by many things. The things I said, it can be caused by what's called a pituitary adenoma, a little brain mass inside the pituitary gland. And understanding that treating prolactin can actually improve your ovulation and help you get pregnant. So that is one of the hormones that we are often checking if you have any irregularity to your period. And then the other is going to be thyroid. And I have episodes about thyroid alone, friends. Let's remember the pituitary gland sends out TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which tells the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone affectionately called T4 and T3. These hormones then work all over our body to help our body with metabolism and the brain senses if it has enough of them. And so when you are measuring TSH, you're measuring the pituitary's release of it. You are measuring the brain's interpretation of if you have enough, because if you have a high TSH value, your brain doesn't think it's getting enough T4 and T3. And so what it is doing is telling you by increasing release from the pituitary gland that it wants more. And that's called hypothyroidism. I have low thyroid hormone. I have a high TSH because I need more. And the opposite is hyperthyroidism, which is where the opposite's true. There's so much thyroid hormone that the brain says, oh my God, please no. And it dampers the release of TSH. So now you have low values. We would much rather somebody have extra thyroid hormone than not enough, especially when you're trying to get pregnant because in early pregnancy, only T4 crosses the placenta and it's essential for baby's development until it makes its own thyroid gland at the end of the first trimester. That being said, on both ends, hypohyperthyroidism, you see ovulatory disruptions for the same reason, interferes with FSH and LH release and therefore your ovulatory pattern is interfered. So when we think through the regular period, remember that a regular cycle should be regular and predictable for you. You should be able to look on a calendar and with relative accuracy, tell me when your period's coming within a day or two. That is a vital sign that your reproductive hormones are working. Now that alone doesn't tell me that you're not running out of eggs because you will still have regular cycles for a while. As you start to get to the end of your egg count or as you start to have lessening, you will start to see that you'll ovulate earlier in your cycle because that increase in FSH earlier causes an earlier ovulation and therefore your cycle shortens. So the first warning sign that you're actually starting to have a low egg count could be new onset of shortening cycles where they used to be 28, 29 days and now they're 23, 24. Honestly, that's one of the only clinical signs that you get in the warning period because after that, you're not really having clinical signs until it's too late, until now you're having hot flashes because you have no estrogen and you're in ovarian failure. So it typically will go normal periods, closer together, then they start spacing out, and then they're gone. And you heard me just say that exact same pattern with prolactin. And we see the exact same pattern actually happen with PCOS as well. So you see this interval 
as different things get worse or better, change in your period pattern. So your period's a vital sign. When it's abnormal, you should see a doctor. The general hormone panel that they check for irregular periods is TSH, prolactin, FSH, estradiol, maybe LH, and I would recommend an AMH. And that's what we're generally checking when we're talking about your reproductive hormones. The days of some of these hormones matter a lot. Remember that words like estrogen dominant and progesterone deficient really don't mean much because those are natural things in our cycle. And so don't buy in to supplements and other things that have estrogen-like or progestin-like properties because you may be making your ovulatory pattern worse. You may be making your endometrium exposed to progesterone too much and then you can't get pregnant. And the things that you take, nothing's benign. Last statement, and then I'm getting off because this episode's so long. Buy a 10. Please stop it. If it's in your prenatal, fine. Any extra hair, skin, and nails, collagen, supplements that you put in your smoothies, no. Biotin binds on the sex hormone assay, and what it does is it gives us falsely higher low values of all of these sex steroid hormones that we just talked about, depending on which one it is, and that makes it extremely hard to interpret your levels and understand what may be going on in your body. All right, friends, well, thank you so much for your support of the As A Woman podcast. I just love you and love all that we have been able to learn and share and grow. As a reminder, you can ask questions on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every Monday. You can sign up for the newsletter at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter and go ahead and check out the YouTube. Thanks friends. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.